maximum crazy. I have never seen anything like this, either in the Secretary of State's office or really in Minnesota politics. This will go down as one of the craziest and most memorable weeks in Minnesota political history. A revolving door of well-known candidates filing to run for office this week, elevating the profile of some already big races on the ballot. Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. Normally, the deadline to file to run for office comes and goes without a lot of fanfare. But this is not a normal election season in Minnesota, and this definitely wasn't your typical deadline week. It has opened up the field in some high-profile contests and catapulted some otherwise sleepy races into the spotlight. The 2018 Minnesota primary season might read like a page-turner of a political mystery novel. It starts with former Governor Tim Pawlenty, who once ran for president and dropped out. Just hours before he officially filed for the 2018 Minnesota governor's race, his Republican-endorsed primary opponent, Jeff Johnson, issued a statement asking Pawlenty to step aside again for the good of the party. Johnson wants to take advantage of disarray in the DFL governor's race, where DFL-endorsed candidate Aaron Murphy suddenly has more company in her primary than she bargained for. Not only is Congressman Tim Walls running against her, so is Attorney General Lori Swanson and her lieutenant governor running mate, Congressman Rick Nolan. We last saw Nolan walking through an airport in February explaining he wouldn't run for re-election so he could spend more time with his family. I knew the time was right. You know, there's a time and a season uh, for everything. Swanson's decision to run for governor was prompted by losing the DFL endorsement for attorney general to newcomer Matt Pelican, who seemed to be in the catbird seat for that race for all of about 10 minutes. Then Congressman Keith Ellison withdrew from the 5th District Congressional race to instead run for attorney general. State Representative Deborah Hillstrom, former Commerce Commissioner Mike Rothman, and former Ramsey County Attorney Tom Foley also got in the race. So did former Attorney General Mike Hatch, for about 24 hours anyway, until he mysteriously showed up with his 12-year-old dog at the Secretary of State's office on Wednesday and dropped out. I could have saved 300 bucks. There was a lot of people who jumped in. <laughs> Hatch told me he only filed because he doesn't think the endorsed candidate for attorney general can win, and he wanted to make sure other qualified candidates stepped up. As you saw, Keith Ellison is giving up a safe Democratic seat in Congress to run for state attorney general. It was that move that set off Tuesday's wave of filings in the 5th Congressional District. This will be Ellison's first time running for a statewide office. I'm going to go directly to the folks all over the state. This is not just going to be a metro campaign. We're not just going to run in my old congressional district. We're, we're going to talk to Minnesotans everywhere they live. Ellison says he also plans to stay in his role as deputy chair for the Democratic National Committee. There are now six DFL candidates running for Ellison's seat. They'll square off in the August 14th primary. They include former House Speaker Margaret Anderson Kelleher, State Senators Patricia Torres-Ray and Bobby Joe Champion, and State Representative Ilan Omar. You were at the uh, convention. You know the uh, amazing activity that took place in there. Obviously, all of us got inspired, as you can tell. And so right now, I think we are taking this opportunity. We have a lot at stake this year, and we're going to need an organizer and someone who is ready on day one 
to mobilize? I think that it can be viewed as an opportunity to mobilize a lot of people into the process. And, you know, elections work when people are involved, when they vote, when they get active. And the fifth... Congressional District DFL plans to hold a special convention on Sunday, June 17th, to potentially endorse a candidate in that race. Now, there are also three Republicans running in the 5th District. Jennifer Zielinski is the endorsed candidate. One big question is what impact will all of these moves have on interest in the August primary? That election generally has a pretty low voter turnout. I spoke with Secretary of State Steve Simon, who says he's eager to see what kind of impact this will have at the polls on August 14th. It's August in Minnesota, and what do Minnesotans do in August? They try to squeeze the last few drops out of summer. And the numbers show Minnesotans don't pay a lot of attention to August primaries. The turnout has ranged from just under 16% in 2010 to just over 7% in 2016. But Simon says some of those primaries had only low-profile races. That won't be a problem this year. The fact that it's competitive really tends to be a driver as well. Nobody knows as of this date who is going to win several of these high-profile races. That is absolutely right. And voters also don't need to be in town on primary election day, August 14th. With Minnesota's relatively new no-excuses absentee voting, you can cast your vote beginning June 29th. And then right up until Election Day, primary Election Day, that is, we have a link to the website where you can find out how to do all of that at KSTP.com. Now, throughout election season, we're going to sit down with several candidates you'll see on the ballot in key races. Today, we are joined by Richard Painter. He is running for U.S. Senate in a Democratic primary against the endorsed candidate Tina Smith. Painter is best known for his time as a White House ethics lawyer in the George W. Bush administration, he switched from Republican to Democrat earlier this year, saying he's fed up with President Trump and the current state of the GOP. And Richard Painter joins us in studio today. Mr. Painter, thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Tom. Now, the Washington Post recently called you one of the most interesting and confusing Senate candidates of 2018, a former Republican now running as a Democrat whose primary agenda seems to be the impeachment of President Trump. How do you respond to that? Well, uh, I think that the removal of President Trump and Vice President Pence uh, is uh, most likely warranted under the circumstances, but we need to investigate. We need to have uh, hearings in the House and the Senate, as we did in the Watergate episode. The House and the Senate have done absolutely nothing. But that's not uh, the uh, principal focus of my agenda. I think we also need to uh, implement single-payer health care. Uh, we need to protect the environment. Uh, these are issues, health care and the environment, uh, that Republicans and Democrats used to care about, that all Minnesotans care about. And uh, I believe that in this Senate campaign, uh, I can uh, convince the voters uh, that we need to uh, not only remove President Trump and Vice President Pence, but we need to proceed with an agenda uh, that is in the interest of the people. Now, why did you decide to run as a Democrat against Tina Smith, who was also a harsh critic of President Trump? Why not run as an independent? Well, if I'd run as an independent, I think my views uh, on a number of issues, particularly health care and environmental protection and a range of social issues, uh, would have aligned a lot more closely um, with the Democratic platform than the Republican. And so that would have thrown the race uh, uh, over to the Republicans. Uh, with Donald Trump in the White House, we can't take that risk. Uh, we need to have senators who are going to stand up to Donald Trump and Vice President Pence. So an independent run uh, really was not in the cards for me, and I, I don't think it would have 
been good for this state and for the country. And again, you've been very critical of the Republican Party and especially Republican members of Congress for not standing up to President Trump. But don't you agree? I mean, you know how the process works in Washington, D.C., as well as anyone. To get any legislation passed, uh, they need to walk this tightrope. Some of them may not approve of his tweets and a lot of the things he does personally, but they realize they need him if they're going to pass any legislation out of the Republican-controlled Congress. So is it difficult to criticize them for that? Well, I'm not very impressed with the legislation they passed. They passed a tax cut for the top 1%. It's a great deal if you're a billionaire, but for the vast majority of people, uh, that tax cut was a very bad deal, particularly compared with the amount of debt uh, that was added to our uh, bloated uh, federal deficit. So uh, the Congress, the Republican Congress, is not focusing on the issues we need to address, uh, the skyrocketing cost of health care, uh, the need for a single-payer system to bring down the prices of drugs and medical devices and cutting the insurance middleman out, uh, that needs to be addressed. We need to deal with climate change uh, and uh, consider a tar carbon tax and other ways to uh, move away from fossil fuels. Uh, and the Republican Congress is doing absolutely nothing and when they pass legislation. It's exactly the opposite of the legislation that uh, is in the interest of the American people. Now, you not only want the president investigated for a lot of his financial dealings uh, well beyond the, the Russia investigation, you also favor strict new ethics rules for members of Congress, both Republicans and Democrats. A couple of examples uh, include a lifetime ban on being a paid lobbyist uh, once you leave Congress and also making it illegal to own individual stocks in companies and requiring them instead to order maybe a broader-based mutual fund What's the likelihood of that being passed by the very members who would then be held to these very strict standards and restrict their future earnings? Well, the uh, members of Congress uh, already passed uh, uh, decades ago legislation uh, that makes it a crime for anyone in the executive branch other than the president and vice president uh, to uh, hold stocks and other investments that conflict with their official duties. Uh, and uh, it's about time that the members of Congress apply the same rules to themselves and to the president and vice president that apply to every other federal employee. Uh, there is no excuse uh, for someone making decisions about environmental issues while holding a lot of energy stocks or making decisions about health care while holding drug stocks or uh, medical device stocks. Uh, that is a clear conflict of interest, should be prohibited, and it's, Congress needs to apply the rules to themselves. They apply to everybody else. But you agree it's highly unlikely uh, any Congress, Republican or Democrat, would ever pass these rules? Oh, I, I think they will pass them because I'd shame them into it. It's, it's just uh, uh, atrocious that members of Congress are looking out for their portfolios or their future earning ability when they want to lobby back to Congress uh, after they leave rather than focusing on the public interest. And if they don't want to make those commitments, we ought to boot them out of there and put some people in there who are willing to serve the public. Now, just in our final minute and a half or so we have here, I want to get your take on some key Democrat-Republican litmus test issues. You've already mentioned a few of them. Single-payer health care. Uh, Republicans, four square against that. Uh, Ten seconds on why you think that's a good idea. Uh, small business owners are struggling to pay for health care for their employees. Uh, many people are not able to leave jobs that they don't like to do new things, to start up new companies. Uh, because of health care, it makes absolutely no sense to tie health care to your place of employment. It's killing our economy. It's bankrupting American families, our current system. Republicans say it would be prohibitively expensive. It's prohibitively expensive. 
to continue with the system we have already now, uh, right now. It is uh, not working for the vast majority of the American people who are spending way, way too much on health care compared with what people pay in other countries. And you've already said you're against the tax bill and the tax cuts that were in that tax bill. One other issue, uh, the abortion issue, often a litmus test between Republicans and Democrats. Where do you stand on that? Uh, government shouldn't be regulating abortions. And that was the position of the Republican Party before 1980. It was the position of many people who were in the Republican Party. They never should have changed their views on that. Government shouldn't be regulating personal decisions. And the same at the end of life uh, when people want to make decisions uh, with their doctors. Uh, government should be focusing on uh, schools, on protecting the environment, on the national defense, the things that the government uh, can do well not on regulating people's personal lives. All right. He is Richard Painter. He is running the Democratic uh, primary for U.S. Senate. Uh, best of luck to you on the campaign trail. We've got a busy couple of months ahead of you. Thanks for joining us on Ad Issue this morning. Thank you. Up next, Brian Melendez and Kurt Zellers will be here for political analysis, and we've got a lot of stuff to discuss, obviously, from this hectic week in Minnesota politics. We'll be back in two minutes. And welcome back. Time now for political analysis. Joining me today, former Republican House Speaker Kurt Zellers and former DFL Party Chair Brian Melendez, a couple of guys who know their way around party politics. And let's talk about what happened this week. If anybody can make sense of it, maybe you two can, or maybe not. So, Brian, I'll put you on the spot first. Uh, let's start with the governor's race. Uh, you've got a somewhat crowded Democratic primary with Lori Swanson all of a sudden jumping into the race. And how do you handicap what's going to happen there? Uh, I don't want to predict what's going to happen because you have three very strong contenders. Uh, you had uh, uh, two people who vied for the endorsement. Uh, one of them got it. Uh, so we've got, uh, we've got Aaron Murphy. Uh, you've got Tim Walls, who is very well known throughout state Minnesota and has a great deal of strength. I'm not saying he doesn't have strength in the cities, but a great deal of strength in greater Minnesota. And then you've got Lori Swanson, who has been a statewide office holder for a dozen years now. Any one of those three has a serious shot. And, and a very interesting dynamic there because among their lieutenant governor uh, running mates, you've got Rick Nolan now running with, with uh, Lori Swanson, who was leaving Congress the first time he was in Congress, six years before Aaron May Quaid was born. She is the running mate of Aaron Murphy. Uh, that is an interesting dynamic. Well, and I think what you see is this is uh, all Metro all the time. You know, there is barely a tip of the cap. If your tip of the cap is a guy who was literally, you know, six months ago saying, I've had it with politics, let me out, there's nobody on that ballot that looks to greater Minnesota and says, we hear you, we understand you, we're one of you. Now let's talk about the Republican uh, mm -hmm. primary. Four hours before Tim Pawlenty was going to go officially file for office, his opponent, Jeff Johnson, the endorsed candidate, sent out a statement asking Pawlenty to step aside. I think that was wishful thinking, but he had to throw the idea out there. Uh, what's, what's going on with that race? Well, I actually would have had it the other way. I would have said to, to Jeff, and I, I say it right now, I think Jeff would be in the best interest of the Republican Party for Jeff to drop out. You know, he doesn't have money. He doesn't have support. The day after the endorsing convention, he wasn't sure what he was going to go do. He was going to hop in the Jeep and drive around the state. You know, we need a, a seasoned campaigner, somebody who's been to greater Minnesota, who knows the voters, who the voters know and respect. And I think Tim Pawlenty is our first only and best choice. And, you know, Jeff should drop out now and just let Tim campaign for the summer. Let's talk about the attorney general's race, suddenly a race that we usually barely pay any attention to because Democrats have run the table on that since 1966, uh, essentially, or since uh, the early 1970s. Uh, let's listen to just a sampling of some of the candidates who were running. And I think the attorney general needs to be able to fight for everybody to make sure that they are getting the pay that they have earned, that they are getting the air and the water quality that they deserve. 
Progressive leadership means taking on the fights that need fighting, that require fearlessness and tenacity, even, even when no one is watching. I know what uh, the executive branch in Minnesota is all about, and uh, I think that when people compare that, they want a qualified person who's going to be in their corner from day one. Again, that's just a sampling. And then we also saw Mike Hatch walk in with his 12-year-old dog and withdraw from that race when everybody was surprised he got in in the first place. You really can't make this stuff up, Brian. That race is going to be uh, really a dogfight. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know that everyone was surprised. There, there are various theories yeah. about, uh, about how, how long this was planned out. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's sort of like the governor's race. You have a number of strong candidates. And at the time that the party convention was deciding the endorsement, the delegates to that convention had no idea what was going to happen in the following hours. And does this help Doug Wardlow, the Republican candidate, while they fight it out on the Democratic side? I think it helps all the Republican candidates. There's going to be two food fights going on amongst... Um, I would say maybe not as qualified candidates, but these are candidates that delegates know and have vied for endorsement in the past. And you're going to have a summer of primaries. Some of the debates on the DFL side are going to be worth the popcorn and admission. And final thing, uh, speaking of which, the 5th District Congressional race, Keith Ellison's decision <laughs> set off a scramble for that. They're going to have an endorsing convention on June 17th on Father's Day to try to endorse a candidate. What's likely to happen there? Uh, I, think they're going to, I think they're going to go home without an endorsement. There are, there are too many strong candidates jumping into that race. Uh, uh, I don't think any of them is going to get to 60% after just a couple of weeks in. All right, so the zaniness will continue a little <laughs> yeah. bit later this month. Uh, Kurt and Brian, thank you both for being here. Appreciate Thanks, Tom. it. Sam. Mike Erlinson and Andy Brem are joining me next for Face Off. We'll be back with them in just a couple minutes. And time now for Face Off. We haven't had a Face Off segment for a few weeks. We've had so many candidates in and out of the studio. We had another one in today, but we still managed to squeeze in a Face Off segment with Andy Brem and Mike Erlinson. Thank you both for being here. Let's uh, pick up where we left off in political analysis. Uh, you were chairman of the Democratic Party. You know how the infighting can get to be, but this 5th District Congressional race, when Keith Ellison's seat surprisingly becomes available, it seemed like every viable Democrat, and even some who aren't so viable in that 5th District, wanted to get in. Well, there's no question about it, right? It is a safe Democratic seat, and when those open up, and they traditionally don't open up that often, a lot of candidates would run. You know, had he run for Attorney General from the start, um, I think we'd have just as many, if not more, candidates in the primary. Do you agree with Brian Erlinson that there's a good likelihood they will not actually have an endorsement at that June 17th? I don't know. I, I, you know, I think, you know, endorsing conventions like to endorse candidates, um, and so I think that'll be a hard-fought thing. I think if there is an endorsement, it might be Omar that comes out on top because people will view that as something that's more about the future of the Democratic Party, a look forward versus a look back. But they're all great candidates. And it's a, a sad state of affairs, and it's not just in Minnesota, but across the country. There are certain districts where only one party gets to play, and the 5th District is a Democrat, not just leaning, but, I mean, almost toppling over in favor mm -hmm. of them. Uh, it, it's kind of sad that Republicans really have no chance of winning that. Yeah, well, I live in that district, so I didn't give much thought to running for that seat. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I'm delighted to see that the politics of the 5th District are going statewide with Keith Ellison running for Attorney General. I think that's going to be a big li a liability. It's a significantly liberal district, and now we're seeing that play out on the state level. So I don't see Republicans picking up that seat uh, anytime soon, but uh, again, I would love to see it as a voter in that district. Like Andy, a lot of Republicans are kind of licking their chops over the fact that Keith Ellison might be the statewide candidate for attorney general because they don't think uh, he's going to do well outside the more liberal areas of the metro area, and he will struggle in greater Minnesota. You see it that way? 
Well, there's no question that the, in, the, in the DFL primary, whether you're running for governor or for uh, attorney general, it's likely to be the fifth congressional district that's going to pick the, the candidate that's going to be on the general election ballot. I think it's all going to be the fifth congressional district come August uh, for Democrats. They'll be picking the next member of Congress from the fifth congressional district, and they'll probably be picking the Democratic candidate for governor and for attorney general because the turnout will be so high and so focused by all of the candidates, you know, from Tina Smith. Uh, to, to, to on down on down the list. So um, it, it'll be interesting. I don't think that the congressman is a liability in greater Minnesota. Um, it will just be uh, a, a slightly different message, perhaps, than others might have. Let's talk about Lori Swanson's surprise entry into the governor's race. Let's listen to what uh, she and her running mate, uh, Congressman Rick Nolan, had to say when they got into the race. It has no reaction to any other ticket. It's simply us uh, joining forces to try to put Minnesota forward. I've been the top vote getter uh, in the Democratic Party for any constitutional office, and, and I think people know my record and they know Rick's record, and ultimately what they know about our records is that we're people who care, who want to serve the public, who believe in helping people. I got a call from Attorney General Swanson asking me to be her running mate. It was a, a, a compelling request. Um, I have such admiration and respect for her. You were at the Democratic convention. Do you think this was the plan all along, that she really <laughs> wanted an excuse to run for governor and get out of the AG's office, or AG's race? Well, she was running for governor, right? We forget in the last year and early into the start of this year. So maybe it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that she's running for governor. Uh, and, you know, I think a good competition uh, on the Democratic side uh, for governor will be good. And we're going to have the same thing on the, uh, the Republican side. Well, I think there was speculation she was going to run. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she ever actually said she was going to. But how do you see them doing in this race? Well, we'll see. You know, it seems like politics was ugly at first, and now it just has gotten so odd to get people back paying attention <laughs> to it. Um, it's hard to make sense of it. It's very dramatic. Um, it's hard to understand Rick Nolan's desire to run it, you know, go from a safe congressional seat to running for lieutenant governor. But again, it really defines the Democratic Party today, which is chaos. And I don't think that's going to serve them very well. I'm not sure the 8th District was that safe. He won well, a few <laughs> narrow races, but again, a preceding Congress. Yeah. All right, Andy and Mike, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Some graduation history at U.S. Bank Stadium this week. We'll have that when we come back. The Minnetonka High School class of 2018 had the honor of being part of the first graduation ceremony ever held at U.S. Bank Stadium. Hundreds of proud grads filed into the stadium Thursday with their family and friends looking on. And on a personal note, one of those grads was my son, Nick. He is now headed to the University of St. Thomas in the fall. Congratulations to Nick and the entire class of 2018 at all the schools here in Minnesota. You can listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links at kstv.com, and that's all the time we have for now. We'll see you again next week.